Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. So it's about the middle of November right now. We had a real mild fall, but finally winter hit. Not much in the valley yet, but the other night, Tuesday night, I had to go to a meeting down at... uh, But Tuesday night, I had to go to a SLC Angels meeting. SLC Angels is an is an angel investment group that I belong to where we review new entrepreneurial companies and decide if we're interested in investing some angel investment into these companies. So I had to go down to this meeting, started at four in the afternoon, and it usually goes till around seven in the evening. And we review, well, at this meeting, we reviewed three different companies that had gotten through our screening process and and took a look at it but that's that's not really about that I wanted to talk about but in the parking lot when I got to the restaurant there was one car that had about a foot of snow on the top of it now it had been raining all day long in the valley but up in the mountains we're starting to get the snow in fact I got an email from Deer Valley Deer Valley Ski Resort that said hey we have eight inches and counting So finally, we're starting to get some snow. I don't know if there will be enough snow to open the ski resorts before Thanksgiving. I know Deer Valley doesn't do that. They have a specific start and stop time. But the other resorts in Utah will pretty much open up as soon as they have enough snow to get people up there. So the winter's here. It's been a very mild fall. And we've had just a skiff of snow in the valley. Not much, just a skiff. Just enough that I got up yesterday morning. It had snowed a little bit overnight, and there was just a little bit of snow on the roofs of uh, the garage that I look out over from my second floor bedroom when I got up in the morning. And, of course, it melted off as soon as the sun came up. So I want to thank a couple people out there that have written reviews for the podcast And I'm a little confused. I've logged on to the iTunes website using the iTunes uh, icon on my computer. And I went and looked up my podcast in the iTunes store. And it shows six reviews. Just six reviews. And the most recent review uh, was September 28th by an individual by the name of R-A-D-A-R-P-N-G. And however you pronounce that, thank you for writing a review and give me, giving me a five-star rating. Basically, it says filled with practical sailing by a guy who's done a good deal of it. Thanks a lot. But the funny thing is, I go to my app on my phone, and it shows 30 reviews. And that one does not show on my iPhone app. Interesting. There was a review on September 27th by Mountain Sail, MTN Sail. And he said, this is one of the very best sailing podcasts around Greece, the Med, Turkey, and much 
more fill the airways of Franz information pack discussion and interviews. Try it. Thank you, Mountain Sailor, whoever you are. On October 20th, an individual by the name of Arboe, A-B-U-R-I-O-E, wrote, I've been listening to this podcast for a couple of months now, and I definitely recommend it to anybody who is interested in sailing. The show provides a wide assortment of perspectives from various people in all stages of living the dream of cruising the Mediterranean, whether it's strictly sailing talk or geographical discussions or advice about the realities of sailing, of actually owning, storing, and maintaining your boat. And the show's opening and closing lines are just about perfect for the subject matter. Thanks, Arboe, Aburi, Arborio, however you pronounce that. Then I got one from Smelly Dog. Love that name. October 20th. Great podcast for fans of all types of sailing, useful information, interesting stories, and high-quality audio. One of my favorites. Thanks, Franz. Well, Smelly Dog, thank you. And then finally, on November 6th, I got one from Mark I-66. He said, this is a very informative podcast and helps keeping me motivated as I work toward fulfilling my sailing dreams. Thank you, Franz. Well, keep working towards your dreams, Mark. I appreciate you taking the time and writing a comment. They do keep me motivated. But I'm confused on why when I log on with my computer, it shows 6, and why with my iPhone app, it shows 30. So anyway, the more the better. Tell your friends about the podcast if you like. I got a couple emails from people. Let me dig them out here so I can share them with you. I got a letter from a listener in Portugal, Louis Martins, and I may interview him at some point in time. He said, first, let me tell you I'm a big fan of your podcast. I am Portuguese and dream of sailing into the med sometime in the non-too-distant future after I finish refitting my boat. I own a 1979 Morgan 31 designed by Angelo Lavranos. She was built in Durban, South Africa, sailed to Portugal in the 80s. I spend long hours at the boatyard and have listened to almost all of your past episodes. Ferrying the hull is a very long process. Lots of hand sanding with a long board, which is something you can do while listening to podcasts. Well, maybe it's the other way around. In a recent episode, you had a listener asking you to have someone on the podcast that could talk about fiberglassing, to which you replied that it is a subject better covered in video than audio, which I totally agree. There's a great channel on YouTube called Boatworks Today, and he gave me the URL to that website, but I think if you just look it up in YouTube under Boatworks Today, one word, he says where Andy Miller covers lots of fiberglass work in great detail from repairing holes, building hatch covers, fairing, etc. If I know a thing or two about working with fiberglass, it's thanks to Andy. Please share the above link with the other listener. I'm sure he will enjoy it. Also, feel free to share my email with him. If he has specific questions, maybe I can answer. If you ever run out of subjects for your podcast and want to interview a guy that's refitting a boat from a bear hall, drop me a line and we can chat. Thanks, Lewis. P.S. Your interview with Brian Toss was a blast. Now, I forwarded this email on to Brian Toss, and Brian wrote back and said, I'm glad people are enjoying it. So thanks for sharing that. I like to pass along the joy to other people that have appeared on the podcast. And I reached out to Andy Miller. In fact, I've sent him two emails. The guy that puts together the videos at Boatworks today, 
and he has not responded. But I've watched some of his videos, and they are pretty good and, and very informative videos. So if you're looking at doing some fiberglass work, take a look at that website, Boatworks Today. I'm not really sure it's a website, but the YouTube channel, Boatworks Today, and you could probably just Google that or Andy Miller uh, and fiberglass. Now, hopefully I can get him on the podcast and talk to him at some point in time. I've got some podcasts in the can that are ready to go out. I've got one from Cherry Armstrong, who wrote a book on cooking on a boat and has lived on a catamaran and now living on a barge on the French canals. She's been sailing for years and years and years. I've got one with Navionics lined up. I just did an interview. Actually, it'll be two podcasts with Sailrite. The company puts together sewing machines and kits for various projects on a boat. That was an interesting one. And of course, I got the idea of that interview from listening to this, the interview with the same individual on 59 North. Cover a little bit different topics than Andy Shell did in 59 North, but I thought it was a good interview and I thought I'd get him on my podcast and pick his brain a little further. Now we delve into a few other subjects that weren't covered in Andy's podcast. So it's new material. And if you listen to both podcasts, which I recommend you do, uh, you'll get a little more information from Sailrite on my interviews when they come up. And they'll be out probably in about a month. I try to schedule out the interviews and the podcast to come out about once a week. Sometimes I miss that deadline, but I try to get a podcast out about once a week. If you have comments, suggestions, praise, (laughs) whatever you like, drop me an email, franz at medsailor.com. And if you have a chance, go into the iTunes store and give me a review and a rating and tell your friends and family about the podcast. It's really pretty much a a work of love, (laughs) not of profit. But (laughs) speaking of profit, let me get on to my quick advertisement. I have a series of audio books in MP3 format that you can listen to if you're studying for the ASA 101 exam, the basic keelboat certification, the ASA 103 exam, the bear, no, it's not the bear boat, that's the uh, basic cruising certification, and the ASA 104, the bear boat certification. Now, if you're just starting out trying to learn to sail or still dreaming about learning to sail, let me recommend that you pick up my ASA 101 series of lessons, sailing, learn to sail, basic keelboat certification, lessons for the ASA 101 exam. This is really where you need to start because when you get on a boat, they're going to be throwing around terms and maneuvers that you won't understand. I go through in this series of lessons, and I think they're over nine hours long, and cover the terminology, the maneuvers, uh, safety on a boat, and various other topics that are really required for you to pass the written portion of the ASA 101 exam, the basic keelboat certification exam. Now, I cannot teach you how to sail in an audio course. You've got to get out on the water and go sailing to really learn how to sail. But if you get on a boat, like the first time I got on a boat, I actually understood a lot of the terminology, but I didn't think I didn't understand as much as I thought I did. Understanding the terminology when you get on a boat will help you a lot in understanding what's going on on a boat. So let me suggest you do that. If you're a little more advanced, if you want to go do a bareboat charter, 
you need to have a certification nowadays. There's various certifications. Europe has its own certifications. Uh, certification is pretty much recognized around the world by charter companies as the American Sailing Association 104 certification, which is the bareboat certification. I have an audio course for the written portion of that examination. But to actually pass the exam, you need to get out on the water and demonstrate the ability to do the maneuvers that are required to pass that examination. This is only for the written portion of the exam. To really sail, you've got to get on the water. All right, with that out of the way, let's get on to the second part of my interview with Dan Culpepper on his travels last summer through the Mediterranean. I'm back with Dan Culpepper. This is a second part of our interview about his summer adventure. So, Dan, the last time we talked, you'd just gotten to the Azores and Tercera. And did you spend much time in Tercera? Yeah, we spent a few days in, in Tercera. Uh, uh, actually, two days or, or three days in, in Tercera. Yeah, they, the ARC had a couple uh, events uh, that we did. One, a very cool one was at the Lighthouse, kind of a, a basement of Lighthouse that they had redone into a, a dining facility of some sort. It was really, really wonderful. Uh, then we got to the town. I, I told you about the running of the bulls and, uh, and wishing that, uh, they had gotten somebody poor bulls, but, uh, and then, uh, and then from there we, we booked directly. The, the ARC then was going to, uh, another Island further down, uh, San Miguel, San Miguel, San Miguel. Exactly. That's where they were going. But we, uh, we bypassed that like, again, uh, Time-wise, we wanted to uh, to get to Gibraltar. All right. I'm a- actually looking at your website as we're talking, mm-hmm. and I see your track, and it looks to me like you sort of headed down to San Miguel and said, nah, let's let's back out and <laughs> turn around and continued on. Is that what well, happened? A- well, actually, you know what exactly happened? Uh, you know, with the chart plotter, we knew exactly where we were, but uh, we were sailing, so uh, that that's a tack right there. Okay, and, okay. And also, also... Uh, an, another crew member was uh, on watch and and uh, saw lights ahead of him, uh, and and was very concerned that we were very very close to land, and uh, but as you can see, we weren't that close at all. No, you were a long but, ways away. Long ways away. But by the height of the of the island, we could actually see lights ahead, and and as you know. Uh, lights are an interesting thing at night. I mean, they can be, uh, and I've had the experience of, of seeing a very bright light right in front of the boat, thinking, oh my God, there's, a, there's something right in front. And, and uh, slowing the boat down, looking at the light, looking through binoculars, checking my chart, checking the AIS, nothing. You have, no, realize, you, know, you have no death perception at night no. with light, absolutely none. And you realize the light comes from 50 miles away or from you know, on top of a mountain someplace. And, uh, and how does it do that? But, uh, but this is one of those, those experiences, but we had attack anyway, we were going to, as you can see the track right there, we were, we were, you're going to bump into the Island there. Yeah, exactly. We had to choose when to, when to tack to get ourselves some, uh, some sea room at that point, we decided to go back, uh, North and, uh, yeah. And then, and then continue on our way. It, it worked out quite well that way. So. Now, when I sailed across the uh, the passage from the Azores to, and I stopped in uh, Portugal, was the most delightful sail I've had in my life. It was almost trade wind sailing day in and day out. What was your what was your experience like there? Exactly the same. It was it was really really um, ideal in many ways. The the sailing was sweet. When my sister, so my sister's now doing watches with uh, with Pierre, and I put them on the blue, the French blue watch. And, 
they were uh, they claimed that the wind only blew when they were on watch, which which ended up being rather true. They got they got some of the highest speeds, and uh, certainly the wind tended to uh, to uh, increase when they were on watch, uh, and uh, they had a, they had a great time, and and we did too. The winds fifteen to twenty, again, uh, you know, beam reach. Uh, lovely uh, a point of sale for the boat. Uh, very comfortable. Uh, my boat doesn't heal tremendously. I'm I'm not a big fan of uh, healing the boat on its ear at all. Uh, it's not that efficient, and and also just comfort level. Uh, we were just cruising uh, uh, wonderfully at seven eight knots. Uh, just crank it on. It was uh, yeah a good part good part of the trip. Now you you skipped Portugal over and we stopped the uh, first land we could find was Lagos Portugal and you just skipped that and went straight to Cadiz. Yeah, we did. We um, uh, my wife had been been uh, she lived in Portugal for a while, played an orchestra there, and uh, and and so it, it wasn't on our our itinerary. And we had been to Spain. Uh, a few years before and done all the, uh, you know, traveled around for a month in Spain by car. And uh, so we were able to, uh, so we saw Spain. So we, both those countries weren't on the top of our list to, to bring the boat to. We really wanted to get to Italy. But the initial intention was to uh, sail directly to uh, to Gibraltar, and from Tercera to Gibraltar. And that was the plan all the way along. Uh, we... As we approached Gibraltar, uh, we had uh, the winds that were were really nice for us uh, for a long time. Ended up uh, coming around from the east, and uh, as you know, the current through the Strait of Gibraltar uh, is uh, going to the east almost all the time, and uh, the water tends to rotate uh, vertically. And uh, it it had. Uh, uh, some tremendous seas we were running into, which was very irritating. Uh, we uh, we were making good time, but uh, at about 50 miles from from Gibraltar, I had to make a decision whether we were going to continue just getting pounded. And and the Beneteau, uh, the Beneteau, the boat I have has a uh, the hull is a is flat. I mean, it it it, it ends up being a you know has a nice keel. Good weight, but it, it's very flat forward. So any kind of um, any kind of pounding, any kind of seas that that are uh, short or or will drop the boat off them, uh, tends to have a big uh, bang to it. And, uh, and we had that issue early on uh, with <laughs> with the anchor that I that I stupidly had uh, left uh, on the boat. So our, the trip from from home uh, from Stamford to uh, Bermuda was affected by an anchor that that got a little bit loose just just enough that when we were pounding in the seas it would it would rise about two inches and then bang back down again and uh trying to sleep through that as the captain i uh i did not sleep well until we were able to really lash it down and when we got to the azores i i took it off completely and stowed it below and um lashed it down to to some pad eyes down below uh, in the front of the boat, and that was the best move we made. So going into Gibraltar, uh, we had these seas that that were starting, uh, you know, it was current against wind, and it, it was just building up uh, these uh, these seas to a point where it was getting very uncomfortable. The boat was getting pounded. Uh, everything was shaking, and what we later found out was there's a sink in the forward, which is now the tool room, but was a, a cabin uh, forward uh, uh, it access uh, from the deck, 
And I think it was intended for with charters for the captain uh, to live uh, forward. But it's a very small, small little area, two berths that I've converted into like a tool room. But it has a sink in there, and the sink's attached to the wall. Well, the sink had broken off the <laughs> the uh, the wall forward. And I think it was during this this pounding of the, the boat, and everyone was kind of sick of it. So tack the boat, uh, uh, made haste to uh, Cadiz, uh, Spain, which ended up being a great, great idea. Uh, a very, very cool town. Uh, again, one of those towns that's, that's great to, uh, to approach by sea. And uh, we had a great time there. Stayed in the marina, was a little ways away from downtown, but uh, what a wonderful place to walk around. Uh, great town, great feeling, uh, as will as we found in many towns through throughout the Mediterranean. That idea of uh, of history that's just uh, right there all the time, everywhere you turn. So Cadiz was a nice stay. We stayed there for uh, I think two nights. Uh, wind was still blowing when we left, but uh, again, schedule. Uh, Pierre left us at in Cadiz. Uh, he had to get a flight back, and um, so he ended up taking a. Um, a train uh, to get get to where he was flying out of, and we continued down uh, to um, to uh, Gibraltar. So we made it to Gibraltar overnight. So let me ask you a question about Cadiz. Yeah. When I was there, I just remember thousands of cats along the water um, along the breakwater. Are they still there? <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. You know, it, it's funny. Cats. Uh, something. Uh, we have two cats at home, but it, it, I, I'm, I'm not thinking of. Oh, one just walked by. Yeah, she must have heard me. But. Uh, the um, uh, yeah, throughout Europe, my daughter left a, a couple blogs about the animals, and and uh, she has a couple uh, blogs. My thirteen year old about about cats. Cats were everywhere, and uh, and they and they're almost mythical creatures in 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 Morocco. When we were in Morocco, the cats are just uh, uh, no one bugs them. They're all around everywhere, and uh, yeah, this was the case in Cadiz also. I, that it's funny you should mention that because that it, it was one of the things that struck me. We got there. How many cats there are, and uh, and people were very um, uh, very friendly towards cats. They're not. They don't. I guess take them as pests. And and there, it was very cute. So while I was in Cadiz, I did a day trip, and I said, okay, I've got to go to Porto Sherry. So I went and did a day trip up to Porto Sherry, so I could so I could drink sherry in Spain at Porto Sherry, and and it's. <laughs> 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 Good for you. Good for you. Those are the things you got to have goals like that. That's yeah. right. That's right. So I went to a, a sherry bodega down there. So oh, that's great. Well, we ended we ended up drinking a uh, a, a, a bottle of Dom Perignon, and and we ended up drinking it in Cadiz because Eric Wenberg, in the kindness of his heart, had had brought this bottle along for us to to drink and left it aboard uh, along with a lot of other nice bottles of wine, which we didn't consume until. Uh, we we got to Europe, but uh, he he brought this fantastic bottle of champagne. And uh, when we got to Cadiz, Pierre, who had never had a, a really expensive bottle of champagne, uh, pleaded with us, "Please, please open up some wine. Please open up some champagne." <laughs> he really wanted to try it. And I said, "You know, we're not at Gibraltar, but technically we had crossed the Atlantic." So so we opened it up and we we thoroughly enjoyed it. So that was our our first alcohol really of the trip. I I I, I really don't encourage the alcohol on the trip just because of the the schedule. And of course, you know, if people want to have a little wine here and there, it's no big deal, but you tend to get into that that schedule offshore where uh where you want to sleep when you want to sleep and and you want to be awake when you're awake. So uh, we didn't drink at all, really, crossing. And then, uh, yeah, we had the champagne in Cadiz, and that, that was uh, 
that was special. So let me ask you on your watches, would you always have two people on watch or would you have one person on watch? No, we, we initially, because of Eric's uh, inexperience, uh, he was doing a watch uh, with me and then uh, I was doing the watch. I was, I was pulling a couple watches to get everyone up to speed. Tom, right off the bat, was, um, was comfortable doing a watch, obviously. So, so we had two of us, and so we were trying to split it up. And then he would go on watch with Pierre, then I would go on watch with Pierre and Eric, and, and we were just trying to get, especially Pierre, because he was doing the whole trip, him up to speed. But he was a quick, quick study. And, and, and learning the procedures that, that I've developed on the boat. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's not, not anything special. It's just, you know, every boat has its own, own procedures in terms of watches and what to do and, and when to do it, et cetera. So, so uh, yeah, Pierre got up to speed rather quick. Uh, same with Eric. And so what we tend to run for the rest of the trip was uh, four hours on, four hours off, um, three watches. Uh, four hours on, four hours, or eight hours off ended up being. But... Um, we just did a red, white, and blue uh, watches, and so I would do the uh, the red with my father, mm-hmm. and and then Tom did the uh, white, and then the French blue was Pierre, and then Pierre would have uh, either Eric with him or you know, when my sister joined up, uh, my sister uh, also uh, did that watch too. So they were the blue, and uh, it, it worked out. It worked out great. Uh, we had enough time off. Uh, I brought all these books that I didn't read. Uh, for the trip, thinking I was going to have all this time, but it, it really is amazing how it, your day does get get full. And uh, I think the other guys probably had more time, but I felt the responsibility of uh, these lives on my shoulders. I'm not going to, uh, uh, you know, screw up, uh, making sure things were were, were correct. But um, it, it was fairly easy that way. It, it really was. It was just, uh, uh, yeah. So three watches, uh, four on, technically eight off, and then overnight uh, three hour watches. And so we, uh, uh, we, yeah, the three hour watches at night seemed to work. Now, when the wind was, was heavy, uh, put one person at the wheel for an hour at a time. Uh, everyone hand steered for a little while to get the idea of how the boat handles also to help, you know, set the sails and make sure the boat's trimmed. Well, uh, I have an auto helm, which is terrific. And, uh, we used it a lot and, but at the same time we did hand steer occasionally, uh, especially, uh, setting up the setting up the sails on a new tack, uh, just make sure the boat was fairly balanced so the auto helm wasn't working too hard. And, uh, but the, yeah, the watches ran uh, very smoothly, uh, very easy. Now, the Ark Rally, where did, did they go to Gibraltar or did they go somewhere else? I think they went to, to Lagos. They went to, uh, to Portugal. Okay, so they uh, went to Lagos. Okay. okay. Yeah, Lagos. That's where they ended up, and uh, that's where the big giant party uh, was that another party we missed. So. <laughs> That you paid for. <laughs> that, we, that we paid for. <laughs> exactly. So you, did, you went around tra- Cape Trafalgar, but you didn't go very close, as I see on your tack here. No, we went around it, and uh, yeah, we, we were very aware of it, though. Uh, we, we had talked about it uh, quite a bit, and uh, my uncle, who was a, a big uh, a Lord Nelson fan, and uh, he, he actually texted us, uh, you're close. I know, I know you're close. And so, uh, yeah, we, we were very aware of the uh, hallowed uh, water we were uh, sailing through. That's what I thought. I had to read that whole, whole battle again when I was there. And we actually went around the corner and stayed in Barbate when yep. we went in there. So you that, s- that was an option. We, we were, were going to tuck in there if we couldn't. It was a tough night. It, uh, Franz, that was probably the worst night of our trip was going from Cadiz to Gibraltar because the winds were still... 
25 from the east. Uh, we, my plan was to go very, very close, as close to the coast as we could. But of course, this French couple right before we left said, Oh no no! You must not do that because there are. They said there were fishing pots and fishing nets. There are. As you go into yeah. Barbate, it's really difficult to get in because there's a lot of fishing nets around there. So at least there was when I was there. So yeah. So I was un- unnerved to that. I, I did not want to deal with that in the middle of the night with 25 knots of wind and the boat getting pounded around with nets. So um, so we ended up going further offshore. But of course, then then you're at the brunt of the of the wind. So I couldn't tuck tuck in and be protected by Spain. So when you're, you know, 10, 15 miles out, you start getting much more affected by by the wind. And then we made the corner and Tarifa, uh, it was just, and it funneled it funneled in. And so we just got it pounded all the way through and, and it didn't let up until we, uh, we made the left into uh, Gibraltar. I mean, it was pretty much just uh, pounding the, all, the whole way. And, and of course I thought, well, hell, we just should have continued a few days ago, but it it might have lessened a little bit, and who knows? Uh, it ended up being a, a tough night, and actually, I think my sister had a video of it that I, that I just saw recently, and it yeah, it was uh, it, it's pretty impressive just getting whacked, but um, uh, but again, we made it, and everyone was safe, and <laughs> again, it was a um, it was it, this is adventure travel, right? Right, I mean, that's I, what we're I doing. I could, could have taken an airplane, right. so. Uh, everyone enjoyed it. And, and again, it, by the time we got there, we were all exhausted and, and beaten up a bit. Everyone was up all night. And, uh, but again, I wouldn't have uh, traded for anything. So you pull into Gibraltar. How long do you stay in Gibraltar? Because I'm seeing a lot of dots on your, on your track here around Gibraltar. Yeah, we, uh, we were in Gibraltar quite a bit, uh, quite a while. We left the boat for two weeks there. Um, so I was in Gibraltar. The rest of the crew takes off. My father, my sister take off. Uh, they fly out of Gibraltar back home. Tom uh, goes to Madrid, meet his son. They hang out. He flies home. So I'm left in Gibraltar about a night. My family then flies in. Uh, they had flown over to, uh, to Rome and then from Rome to Madrid and then took a train down. I met them at the train in Spain. We went to, went to uh, Gibraltar, had that fantastic experience of walking across the runway to get back to the boat, which is a a special thing in Gibraltar, which is always fun. And you're, you're wheeling your luggage across an active runway, which is uh, entertaining. And then um, uh, then got to the boat and stayed there for just, I think, a day or two at the most. And then we, we, we left the boat in Gibraltar and we took a ferry across to, to uh, Morocco. And, and, uh, and that was absolutely really spectacular. I mean, that, that part of the trip is what um, my daughters, especially my wife, remember as being really extra special. And, and I, I, we could do a whole entire podcast just on Morocco because it, it was just so much. Um, it, it's just so different. Uh, the cultures are so different. Uh, the, the, the welcoming uh, nature of the people was just really uh, fantastic. And so we had a great time. We went to Fez. We stayed about uh, five days in Fez, and then we went down to the desert and uh, went to Urkchebi, which is one of the dunes that you can see uh, in your satellite, uh, very orange, and stayed there for two nights, three days. Uh, it was just incredible. Took uh, camels out to this uh, uh, Bedouin uh, village. Uh, we, we stayed in tents. Uh, it was 123 degrees in the desert. But, but I have to tell you, I did not feel as hot as I did when we got to Italy. 
and it was 100 degrees and, <laughs> and humid. And, uh, you know, you're walking around Morocco and you have long sleeves, uh, long, long pants for, for the reasons of culture, but also because it's just sunny and hot and you're much cooler with a long sleeve. But Italy was completely the opposite. I couldn't wait to get clothes off and it was just uh, humid and miserable. Uh, Morocco was hot, but you got in the sun. It was, uh, it was uh, much more bearable. Uh, again, uh, people great. Fez, one of the oldest cities on earth. Uh, you walk down the, uh, the alleys of Fez and it's just <laughs> amazing. Absolutely amazing. You could just go back to, you could be in, in 1310 and uh, you'd be looking out at the same things. And uh, the, the stalls, the people, the market, the, uh, the tannery we went to there, pretty memorable because of the stench and also the, the visuals, the colors, uh, just the culture. It, it really was amazing. And I'm glad we spent as much time as we did in Fez and we can't wait to go back. I mean, it's, it's a city that I think we would be, be returning to in, in future years when I bring the boat back out of the Med. I think we will probably stay there. And I didn't leave the boat there. And, and I know you're going to have the question you're wondering about, about Morocco in terms of for the boat. And, and I, I might very well do it on the way back out. But I wasn't that comfortable at this point because I really didn't know uh, really anything about Morocco in terms of sailing into it. And there's a marina on the, on the med side called um, Marina Smear, I think it's called. And, and you can see it on Google Maps. And it's... it's it, it looks like a pretty good facility, but I didn't see another boat. I maybe saw one or two boats there, and it just concerned me. A big marina, not too many boats. Um, I, I just didn't know about Morocco in terms of sailing. So we you know, did the, the, the safe idea, which was to leave the boat in, in Gibraltar and, and take the ferry across. But now in hindsight, I think I might think about it next time. Uh, they're doing amazing things in Morocco. Uh, it's a country that is is booming in terms of building projects here and there. Uh, the king there is spending an awful lot of money all over the country, uh, down in the desert, and the poor villages are getting uh, uh, plumbing and infrastructure as well as the big cities. And uh, people seem seem content with uh, what's going on there. And uh, I'm sure the king's had some scares on what's happening in North Africa, and it's always in the back of their minds, I'm sure. And it was, it was a great experience for my, uh, my, my, uh, my daughters to experience uh, that culture and, um, and, and seeing it through, through the eyes of it, as close as we could get to, uh, from Moroccans and how they see our culture, too. And uh, it was great. It was really great. Uh, the, the whole idea, my, my daughter, who was very uh, militantly... Um, uh, 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 feminist in a way as at the age of 16 she was then and looking around and seeing uh, the women with headscarves on and, and covered up you, you don't see that many uh, women fully uh, dressed um, covered up uh, you do in some of the rural villages definitely but in, in the towns and in, in Fez uh, headscarves were, were the, the common and my daughters really over that, that period of time really saw it from a different perspective uh, and, and it, it was good. I mean, I think they got a, a much more balanced approach as we all did, uh, of the cultures and the different cultures. And it, it, it's, it's easy to kind of just read the news and, 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 and get the scare thing on people, but also the idea that it can be looked at one way. It can be looked at another. It was interesting when we came back to Spain, uh, you know, you look at a poster, 
uh, or billboards of near naked women uh, for ads for something, and you wonder who's exploiting whom at that point. So it was a it was an interesting take on on that whole culture, and uh, it was great. So enjoyed. We'll be going back again at some point, and uh, some a lot of highlights from that part of the trip. You know, and I tried to do some Google searches on marinas in Morocco, and I only found one, and it was basically a condominium marina. In other words, you had to go buy your slip as opposed to rent a slip for a day. And, and the, maybe there's other ones, but I couldn't find anything when I was searching on the Internet because you alerted me to that idea. And I thought, well, that's, yep. that's out of the EU. We that's might right. have an opportunity to, uh, to restart the clock in Morocco. But I haven't found enough information to, uh, to really make a decision on that. And I'd like to talk to anybody that's, uh, that's wintered in Morocco and get some information. I know the other opportunity is, is also uh, Tunisia, but they're having their own problems right now. At least that's what I hear from the news, the news media. You never know what really what's going no, on with the news media. As you well know, they, they tend to sensationalize a lot of things. And I never got to Morocco. So I haven't. that's one that I did not get to. And in hindsight, I wish I'd done exactly what you did. Because we were in Gibraltar for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And it would have been easy to pop over on a, on a ferry. And we didn't. So one yeah. thing to, well, to add to the list. Things have, things have changed. I mean, I, I was last in Morocco when I was a backpacking, long-haired uh, teen of 19 many years ago. And uh, it, was, uh, it, it was a terrifying place to go to. And I don't mean in terrorism. It was just it was, it was one of the, the heroin capitals of the world at that point. And, and when, you, when you would travel in that area, you really felt, uh, you know, I, I felt fear the entire time I was there. This was a very, very different experience. Uh, the, the, the king who's taken over from his father is a whole different kettle of fish. And the, the guy's really, a, uh, it seems like he's doing good things to the country. Then again, it's, it's, uh, you're, you're always aware of that. And obviously I'm traveling with, uh, with two girls and my wife. And uh, my wife was very uh, uncomfortable for the first couple of days uh, just because of the, how different the things are. But after a couple of days, we uh, acclimated uh, much more to the culture. And, uh, but you'll never, I mean, you'll never be totally absorbed and we come from our, our background, but it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. And, oh, the Marina, yeah, the Marina I found, Franz, was, was, uh, yeah, Marina Smear. It's, uh, it looks like a Northeast side about, maybe about two inches down on Google Maps. And, uh, that was the only Marina I could really see on the med side. And obviously you go in the, the Rabat and, or any of the other, uh, Casablanca, there's, there are more commercial docks, etc. But, um, uh, yeah, it gets you out of the EU and it's something I'm thinking about on the way back out again. Yeah. And I'm looking at it, uh, on your website. I've just, uh, just zoomed in there on looking at it in the aerial view. And yeah, it looks like it's a big Marina, but hardly any boats in there right now. Yeah. That's that's what that's what made me nervous. Uh, the idea that uh, it, it wasn't being used and why wasn't it being used? You got to ask that question. And the reason probably is that that it's it's just not a, a spot yet. But I, I predict unless something terrible happens there, and uh, that it will be in the future because it, they're building the infrastructure and they realize that terrorism uh, that that the terrorism is not going to be in their future and they're working hard at it. And uh, they want tourists there, and they—that seems to be where they're they're aiming towards. Casablanca is trying to become a banking center of some sort, and the rest is trying to—they're trying to upgrade their their tourist destinations. And you can, you can tell from from uh, the people you talk to there 
that they're very anxious to have that happen. And it, it seems, seems great. You feel very secure when you're there. And that's uh, through the Medina. We felt very secure. And uh, but when we arrived on the ferry, Franz, we were the only ones on this 600 foot ferry. There was another couple and my family of four. Wow. Got off the ferry. So uh, the ferry is used pretty much for workers that are going to Europe, come back on weekends. But we were coming in a midday and in midweek and there was uh, nobody else aboard. I mean, it was it was really surreal. And, and, and we ran into that. Of course, we were there in, a, in an off season. I mean, only idiots go there in, in, in July, and it's, uh, you know, June and July. It's, it's, it's hot, say the least, um, but not as uncomfortable as I thought it was going to be. And, uh, and at the Riyadh we stayed in, which is what they call hotels there, the, the Riyadh uh, had, uh, had air conditioning in the room. So, uh, but it, it wasn't really an issue. The heat wasn't really an issue. Uh, it was in Italy, though. So. All right, so you get back on your boat in Gibraltar, yep. and then where do you head from there? All right. Well, from there, then we uh, we decide we're going to head to uh, the Balearics. But my wife has a rule now, and uh, <laughs> the, the, the rule is one overnight at a time. So she, we, we <laughs> I, I'm looking at your track, and I'm saying, geez, there's Why all these do... places that you just didn't pop into that were so delightful. Well, I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm saying, what? You didn't go into Estepona. You didn't go into Marbella. You didn't go to Mali. I'm just looking well, at this like, what's going on here? Okay, listen, what, listen, Franz. We're gonna we're going to go around. We're gonna miss uh, Portugal. We're gonna miss Spain, and the intention is to uh, to get to the Balearics really as quickly as we can in that way. But at the same time, we have, uh, we have uh, Dan on one side, Merlin on the other side. So uh, me and my wife uh, <laughs> are, are having a little discussion about this. We had a, a you know, you know, you know how it works, friends. You, you're, you're aboard with a bunch of friends, pals, right? Mm-hmm. You go out, you have like absolute glorious sailing. I mean, it can't be better. can't be better. It's like fantastic. And we zipped up to Nova Scotia a couple summers ago. I mean, the wind was just pushed us up. It was lovely. It's fantastic. My wife and the girls fly into Halifax, get aboard the boat uh, up in Bredore Lakes, up in the tide. What do we have? 30 knots of wind offshore, 40 knots, getting pounded all in the way back. Three days of hell to get the boat back, did the whole thing. And I'm thinking, I can't win. I just can't win. So my wife, after that trip, uh, said, okay one overnight. And I said, how the hell am I going to get through the Mediterranean one overnight at a time? I mean, we can't do two overnights. We can only do one overnight. So with those handcuffs on, uh, I had to get the boat to eventually Italy. But at the same time, she wanted to get to Italy and, and really enjoy that. So at the, it was, it, listen, it's, it's all negotiation, right? <laughs> you know that. We all know that. So, and, and, and listen, I love my family being aboard. I really do. So uh, I like traveling with, with a bunch of guys on a trip as a stag trip sometime, but it's nothing like family. And uh, I, I want to romance them aboard and make it uh, a, a good experience for them to be aboard. And uh, so therefore, okay, I could deal with that. So I'm laying out the trip with that in mind, that I'm going to do one overnight at a time. And uh, so that, that really dictated how I was making my way to Italy. Uh, leaving Gibraltar, I had to divide up the trip. We were going to the Balearics, which was 400 and some miles away, or whatever it ends up being. I um, had to break that up. And so we ended up going to, um, let's see, well, the first place we ended up going was this, this uh, Kaba de Gata, I think, which was the Cape of Cats. Speaking of cats, so... Uh, so you did, you did overnight to, in that tiny little, uh, that, right. there's a tiny little 
marina there. Is that the one that you're talking about? The no, Cape of Kent? Yeah, we ended up anchoring around the other side. Okay. And, and we just anchored there just to, to you know, get a breather and uh, to f- fulfill my obligation of uh, only one night, one overnight. And then we spent the day there. And then we took off uh, the following day for, uh, for the Blerics. But uh, we ended up dealing with the same thing, with a wind, um, pounding of the boat, uh, crash, 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 uh, an uncomfortable night, to say the least. Uh, my wife dodging uh, a 900-foot uh, tanker, which was kind of fun. And uh, she actually loved that. And uh, it was highly entertaining for her to, uh, to uh, check out these things at night because, you know, the med's pretty busy. And uh, it can, you can get these big ships coming by. But the seas and uh, wind ended up uh, being a place we didn't want to be. So we ended up going into Alicante, which, uh, again, was one of those uh, change of plans. It ended up being fantastic. We had a great time there. Now, another city reminded me of Cadiz. Um, but, um, again, old, uh, wonderful courtyards and plazas where, where people were all hanging out. Uh, the night was terrific. Uh, we did stay in the marina there, which was which was which was fine. Which was really uh, yeah, that worked out well. And and then from there we 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 took off to go to the Balearics. Yeah, yep. And in Alicante, the the uh, let's see the big walkway. The big is in all marble, as I recall. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The big walkway. Yep. Then go up and down and I actually went and saw a bullfight in Alicante that was a one bullfight I saw in when I was in Spain so that was my wife didn't want to go but I said you know it's part of the culture I want to see yep. it so I went to the bullfight when I was there yeah there's no way I was getting the girls to see that so that was not going to happen so <laughs> was not I wasn't after the running of the bulls I uh, I had enough of that but uh, uh poor things anyway um yeah, so from, from there, we headed to uh, the Blerics. We, we were going to go to Formentera, but uh, we ended up going to a little island, Espalmador, which is a little north northeast, I think, of, of uh, Formentera. Small, small little island, and um, it has a little causeway south of it. But we went there because uh, Paul and Cheryl Shard who I think you've interviewed, right? Right, and I actually watched that video when they were there because I'd been to that same anchorage you're talking about. So. Yep. Well, they've changed it since you've probably been there. They, they, a few years ago, they've made it, you know, it's a, a national park of some sort. Now you have to get online. Oh, that was the other thing. You have to get online, part of the bureaucracy of Spain, of trying to get online, and uh, you have to buy a permit to, to go there to, to, in order to... Uh, pick up a, a mooring that's there. And I understand the reason why, because by the time we got there, it was crazy. It was just absolutely crazy. Um, uh, moorings, every mooring was taken, of course. And, and people were trying to anchor where they weren't allowed to. And the coast guard was coming in and kicking them out. And guys with jet skis were racing into the thing. And it was, it was just insane. It was a, it was our first kind of uh, culture shock to the, to the kind of the beach uh, European beach mentality of uh, just massive humanity, and it was um, it, it was it was a beautiful place, and that's where we went to the, the mud baths. They were in the center of the island, so we walked over there. We got, covered ourselves in mud and did the ritual, and uh, and that is some stinky mud. That's not spa mud. That's uh, some stinky mud. And especially my youngest was like, "No way!" So we we're trying to convince her, "Come on, 
you know, you got experience, you'll regret it. So uh, if you don't do it, and it, it was fun. And, and then you smell it for the next four days, no matter how exactly. much you shower, right? That's exactly right. But we all smelled together. So <laughs> it was a family thing. It worked out fine. And, um, and yeah, from, from there, we made a beeline to Palma. I think that was our next, next port off the top of my head. I think that was it. Uh, no, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, we went to Ibiza. That's right. Uh, the island. But we didn't, we didn't go to the, 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 the big party town. Um, because that after as Palmador, which, which we thought was going to be this very secluded, uh, nature preserve. And that's what we thought it was going to be. Ended up being party central. Uh, we weren't up for going to Ibiza town or, or that, that area where it was, um, uh, you know, there is truly a party central. Uh, we ended up going to the Northeast corner there and, uh, and, and staying at a little kala that was on, on the northeast side. You could probably see from our track where it mm-hmm, was. Again, mm-hmm. again, it wasn't uh, – there's really nothing there except the kala. And it, that was very, very relaxing. Now, did you, did you anchor there for the night then? We anchored there for the night, and there were only about maybe three other boats. And one of them <laughs> one was our first experience with uh, nudists. So uh, – and uh, – I mean, we had seen nudity on the beaches, but this was uh, nudists who took much, much pride in their nudity. And so uh, walking all around the boat and, and uh, going by on paddle boards and and uh, it, it was it was hilarious and it was really hilarious. And, and so my daughters are just like looking in. Uh, you know, they're not they're not prudes. They've, they've seen nudity before, but it was it was kind of the, the glee in which the. Uh, uh, the, the four, two couples were enjoying themselves. Uh, it was really funny. Uh, and, and, and to the point where at, at one point, uh, the two women who were considerably younger than the two men, uh, were, uh, were on one of the paddle boards, uh, washing down the side of this catamaran they were on. And, and the other guy was, was leading them along with like a little leash on the paddle board and they were scrubbing down the outside of the catamaran. And my wife and I were just, just, like laughing we just could not stop laughing the, the whole scene was just so comical in, a, in, a, in an odd way but uh anyway so uh <laughs> that, that was a memorable kala and uh and and you know what i did not take one picture i just can't my wife is like Are you, i can't believe you didn't take a picture you know? <laughs> I, said, I couldn't get the binoculars off my face but no no it was uh it was actually um yeah highly entertaining and then uh so then we left from there and then then yeah from there we went to palma we stayed a few days in palma and, uh, did you take the little railroad up and over uh, in Palma? Did you go up over the top to the? Yes, we uh, did. Okay, good. Yeah, we did. We we took that up and uh, up and over. A, a fantastic trip. Uh, oh, what's the little town, Franz? What's mm, the little... I'm I'm looking at it just a second here. It's uh, it goes over to the over the top of the island up yep. to the other port up there. Exactly. And which, um, which okay. we contemplated sailing into when we when we left, but it uh, we ended up going to the east, not. To the west and around Solier, so Sol, Solier, something like that. That's it. That's exactly a little little town. It was it was very very nice. Uh, another nice buying opportunity, uh, shopping opportunity for my girls. And uh, it, it and then we yeah we we took it back. A beautiful, lovely little trip. And uh, uh, yeah, back back to Palma. Uh, some of the highlights there with the cathedral, which was just spectacular. That's right. spectacular. Uh, it's just really amazing, and it's it's you know one of the places I, I think that was the one that they they keep adding to, and they and they keep uh, so you know a lot of the cathedrals that you'll go to in Europe are kind of like museum pieces from the the fourteenth century, fifteenth century, sixteenth century, whatever, and they've kind of just stopped frozen in time. But Palm was one of the ones that 
that it keeps adding. And, and so you, you see art from, uh, from 10 years ago. You see art from you know, 300 years ago. And it, that was fantastic. It was really inspiring to see, see that. Because believe me, by the end of the trip, we were pretty well sick of seeing uh, churches and, and, and museums and, and ruins. But at that point, we were still pretty fresh. So. Now, now, Palma, Mallorca is known for being a place to go buy boats. That seems to be a place where people mm-hmm. take, and uh, it seems to be a big boat market in Palma, Mallorca. Did you did you see that when you were there? Were there a lot of boats for sale? That's a big harbor. Yeah, we did, we did. We saw we saw a lot of for sale signs, and I, I wondered about that at the time. You, you go down these docks, and it's for sale, for sale, for sale. Many boats, and. Um, yeah, so it is. It, it is a, a location for that. I'm assuming uh, they have a lot of uh, boat services there, mm-hmm. and, uh, and good ones. And it, it's probably one of the better places in the Med for uh, boat servicing. So it, it makes sense that the boats would be there for sale, and they can get them repaired. They can have work done on on them. And, and there's a marine industry there. And uh, it, yeah, it, it's a very expensive marina. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's not some place <laughs> you want to go spend months at because it is no. expensive. Yeah, and there's that, really that, no place to anchor except there's a little anchorage to the uh, to the east or to the to the west of Palma mm-hmm. that I stayed at for a few days before we went in there. But uh, yep. yeah, but besides that, it, it, it's it, it is it's a, it's a it's an expensive um, yeah place to stay. That was our first kind of like uh, you know <laughs> 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 that was our, that was that was the first time I was I, I started the death grip on my wallet. You know, I mean it, it was it was uh, it was a rude. I think it was a it cost U.S. maybe one hundred and eighty, hundred eighty, hundred ninety dollars a night. Wow! And and it was, ugh, I, I ugh, it was uh, it was hard to swallow. And the facilities we had, the Wi-Fi barely worked. Yeah, barely worked. And, and then you have just, to walk a mile to even get on shore because it's such a huge marine. It feels that's like. exactly right. Big walk all the way around. It, it was not it, it was not friendly that way. But again, a, a great town, great town. Uh, but you, yeah, you pay dearly for it, and I, I'm glad I I went there. I don't think we'll visit on the way back. Uh, yeah, exactly. Anchoring's difficult there, and we wanted to see the we wanted to see Palma, and uh, it worked out. It worked out quite well, but yeah, expensive. Yeah, I had a crew change there one time, and so I had a couple of days that I had to kick around. And when I went through, it wasn't anywhere near as expensive as it is now. So, so yeah. much for no inflation, right? Right. Yeah. Well, the, the euro was doing well this summer for us, and uh, uh, much better than last time we were there. I think it was one forty something last time we were there, and then this summer it ended up being uh, you know one oh eight, one oh nine. Uh, seemed to creep up while we were there, but you know what? A lot better than last time. So, so I see you went around Palma the prudent way. You went around uh, <laughs> south the and to the east, and I went around the north side. But, of yeah. course, I looked at the weather, and the north side's known for being a treacherous coastline to go along because there's no place to hide. There's exactly. no place to hide. But uh, we had a good weather window, so we went around the north side. But I see you went around the south and the, and the east side. So, And then you went straight over to Ciudadella? Is that where you yeah. went? Yeah, we went into this little in Menorca. Right. Yeah, we, we stayed in this little, uh, this cala there. It was, it was called Cala uh, Canutels. Kanye tells it's called. Okay, is it, the little collar we went into. That was fantastic. That was really. That was probably the most perfect collar experience we had because we had. Um, we it, you can see from our from our our route we we kind of go straight towards the coast and then we then we make this turn to the left and and we ended up 
doing that because we were initially going to go into the, that one town we were aiming for, uh, but it, it just didn't look nice. It just, from, the, from the sea, it didn't present itself as being someplace we want to anchor the boat. So we we continued and we kind of tucked in a couple of collas, but there was one that was memorable was, uh, I think it's called Benetella, Benetini. Um, it, it's a little west of there and it, it kind of hooks to the to the left. It, it, it looks like a, a you know, a, Upside down sock, and I didn't stop in there, so that's uh, that's new for me. It looks like a perfect little anchorage, well, no, no facilities. We, we ended up not going in there because well, we we went in there, but we didn't stay there because it, it narrows considerably, and so you know I, I I feel confident in handling the boat, and I got certainly a lot better this summer, uh, backing up a fifty foot boat. Uh, but as we went around that dog leg right there, uh, and. <laughs> There were there were two frolicking people on shore, uh, running around a couple stark naked, and and it was, so we we can't come in and it narrows and narrows to a point where we can't turn the boat around. We actually have to back back out. So we kind of slow down. We slow down. It, it is really magical. It's a beautiful place. Uh, the the walls going up on each side, you know, sixty hundred feet on each side. You're really going through this little canyon, and it's, and it's getting it's getting narrower and narrower and narrower. I'm thinking, okay, where's, where's the beach? And we go around this dog leg and we look ahead of us and we see people running around. Go, oh, this is a nice place to have a picnic, you know? Be good. And as we get closer, closer, we realize that they're running around. They're, ha- they're having a great time. And, uh, and, and so, I, so I stopped the boat. I don't want to intrude on their, their little a bit of uh, Blue Lagoon paradise. And so, we, um, and so we stopped the boat and then I have to back up. And as I'm backing up, I'm backing the boat up, I'm backing the boat up. It, it, it's going fine. Go around the dog leg and the wind starts blowing. And, and uh, there are boats that are kind of moored on each side of us and we're going into it. But got the boat back out, felt good about that, then continued a little west a little bit further. And then there's that, the Kala Canutels. And it has a, uh, a little restaurant right at the head. Uh, we, we, we put our nose in, stuck the bow in, and uh, this guy comes zipping out in an in a, you know, inflatable. And I think, uh-oh, he's going to you know, tell us to get out of here, whatever. And he says, oh, you want to stay for the night? I said, yeah, we'd love to. He goes, come, come, come. So, so we back in, and uh, he ties us up uh, you know, fore and aft, and, uh, and we're just there. And swim off the boat, go to this little beach that's right there. Uh, there are these cute ducks and, and of course, cats and uh, nice restaurant. Uh, there's some ruins that are outside of town that we went to, and it was absolutely magical. That was, it was the the best experience we had in terms of kalas. It, if you close your eyes and you think of of going into in, into one of these kalas and 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 leaving your uh, leaving your boat, it, this was it, and this is exactly what you'd envision. So it worked out. Quite well. So I'm looking at the satellite image, and it looks like it's a, a fairly affluent little community there. A lot of houses with swimming pools in it. Yes. Yeah, we couldn't see them from where our boat was. So it, it really had this effect that, that it was like uh, uh, rocks and, uh, and, uh, and, and just the trees around us. And the other boats, there are a few smaller boats in there. Um, and then a restaurant on the end of it and a beach on the side. So, yeah, I, can, I could see from Google, Google Earth later on that there was a lot of houses up on the top right there uh, to, the, uh, to the east. But we couldn't see those when we were in there. So, so that's, that's, that's a deceptive thing of looking at satellite images because you don't know right. how high you are, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly, yeah. They could have a little Google boat with cameras on it. and that, that, you'd, you'd see it a little bit better. But, um, 
hey, Franz, we're going to have to take a break here. All right. Um, I, I got to pick up my, my daughters, and I'm sorry this has dragged on so long, but it, oh. it, it's, uh, um, I have to get my daughter and take another one to cross-country and then uh, get to work. All right, let's, let's look at uh, continuing this conversation next week sometime. Okay, that sounds great. Hey, Franz, thanks. This thanks was a lot, fun. Dan. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. All right, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you have comments, drop me a note, franz at medsailor.com, or use the contact form at the website. I'll put some links to various websites in the show notes. You might take a look at that. I'll try to get the link to the uh, YouTube video site that was mentioned in the opening that talks about fiberglass that will teach you a lot of techniques on fiberglassing and building a boat. Maybe not building a boat, but at least some of the techniques for fiberglassing. I watched a couple of videos. I thought they were very well done. Also, if you're looking to study for the ASA 101, 103, or 104, I have a series of audio lessons out there. Go to the website, medsailor.com, and you can take a look at them. I do appreciate comments. If you have a chance, go to the iTunes store and, and write a review on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Get out there and go sailing. Joe, you have something to tell me? No, I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe. What? Princeton can use a guy like Joel. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck, and take some chances. You are so right. You've made me very proud. I was just thinking where we might be 10 years from now, you know? <laughs> the introduction and exit quotes for this podcast were from the movie Risky Business, released in 1983 and written by Paul Brickman. The dialogue, which was used in order, were played by... Curtis Armstrong, who in the movie played the character Miles Dalby, Nicholas Pryor, who in the movie played Joel's father, Mr. Goodson, and Tom Cruise, who was the main character who played the character of Joel Goodson. <laughs>